Good morning. I've been looking over there at that little floppy Christmas tree. It's been driving me crazy. Poor thing. So if it, if it slides over again, let me know. We'll help it. All right. So I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence. And then I'll offer a song and a prayer. No dance, just a song and a prayer. So I just as we move into our silence, I just want to invite you and remind you, and I know you know this, but let me just bring your awareness to it because uh, it's important sometimes we're, we're busy with our travels or where we're going or the season. So just notice your breath in this moment. The breath will ground us in the present moment. Imagine your heart breathing, alive, because it is. It has an intelligence. The heart intelligence is phenomenal. And so should something bubble up for you in our silence or our gathering today in any way, shape, or form that is a distraction, just dissolve it into the heart of unconditional love because that's who you are. That's who we are. So let's begin with our silence. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So once again, expanding that heart capacity to love, compassion for oneself in this moment. Whatever it is that you hold against yourself in this moment, I invite you to just dissolve it into your heart of unconditional love. What character flaw, what, what habit or pattern is no longer serving you, dissolve it into the heart of unconditional love. And then that capacity of compassion for self, we can be more compassionate for the world. And to see the world from the perspective of wisdom and the eternality of the soul. So I come together with you today and I recognize on behalf of each person here and I speak in the I am because there's only one of us because we are teaching of oneness. We are, we are, we are graced with this impress and outpress of source life, loving intelligence that we are immersed in. It is always responding to our nature, to our subjective nature of being. And so our opportunity in each moment is to be transformed in some way to give this infinite divine capacity, this tool, this beautiful, loving, unconditionally loving aspect of creativity, of infinite possibility that is always responding to us, 
whatever we are feeling and whatever we are thinking, whatever we are embodying, it says yes to. This is the way it works. And so I'm so grateful to know this. I'm so grateful in this season of, 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 of darkness and light, of color, of gifting, of gratitude and appreciation, of, of looking out at the world and understanding that all of it, each person is a unique expression of this life. And I give thanks knowing that there's a sacredness that we can move into in a, the twinkling of an eye and be resource supplied and loved. So let us know that something wonderful, let's call it forth within ourselves here and now, myself here and now, and know, I know and I affirm that this life is my life. There's only that one life. That life is source. That life is love. That life is beauty. That life is joy. And so I open myself in this moment. I'm grateful for all of that has brought me to this moment. Everything. And so I release these words in gratitude and appreciation, knowing that I am, we are, unstoppable, spiritually and emotionally mature, and have the capacity to see the world with fresh eyes from the big mind, from the big heart, from the healthiest aspects of ourselves. For this I give thanks, I release these words and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Thank you. I want to thank the, the, t- the teens who did the service last week, which is wonderful. I want to thank uh, Amy Bishop, who came up from Calgary and shared her music and her message with you. Amy's a beautiful presence. If you saw the launch a year or two ago on uh, CTV or whatever channel it was, but she was a participant in that and uh, quite a, a force for, for good upon the planet. All right, so I want to talk to you today about the mythic Christmas, and it's a wonderful message. And I've got a wonderful slideshow, which I'll show next year then, I guess. Here we go. So the mythic Christmas. So why do we have the Feast of Christmas? And I want to share with you a bit of the history because it's so, be- it's so beautiful. And I, it, it has given me such a beautiful context in terms of how we approach Christmas and this whole idea of the birth of, of the Christ. But why on December 24th? And so the, Christmas is really a mythic story. And mythic doesn't mean it's not true. It's just that it's such a grand story that has informed our culture for so long that it has to be told as a metaphor. And so the Christmas story has evolved over time, and I want to share some of those things with you. Joseph Campbell, great uh, cultural anthropologist, said that, that a, it's a story so true it will make you groan. That it's just so, oh, come on. So winter solstice and the birth of Jesus are connected. I'm going to use my slides whether you can see them or not. And it's a beautiful slide, of a, a, a pastoral slide where it shows winter solstice and birth of Jesus connected. So just imagine that in your mind's eye. So the first 400 or 500 years of, of what we now know as Christianity was powered by the Easter story. And so as long as the Christians of the time stayed near the Mediterranean, it all worked out because that made sense. But as, as soon as they, the, and they stayed with the Jewish calendar, which is a moon calendar, but this, the challenge arose when Christianity tried to go north of the Alps. From Ireland to Turkey, these people were called at the time the Celts. So it wasn't just the Irish on the little island. Anything above the Alps, they were the Celts. And so they lived in a cold climate, and they were absolutely dependent upon the sun. We can relate to that, can't we? Yeah. So that calendar that, that the, the early Christians were using around the Mediterranean didn't make sense to them. We, needed, we, we in the modern world, with a scientific study, know that, that, that with certainty that on the 21st of December, two days ago, 
the days stopped getting shorter and they begin to, re, to be lengthened. There, there's a rebirth that goes on with the sun. So we know that the solstice is a result of, na- of the natural course of events, but they didn't know that then. They didn't have science. They didn't have people telling them things. They lived in their villages. Most of them never went farther than 10 miles away from where they were born. So it was, it, this was not their understanding. This was just 1,500 years ago, short 1,500 years ago. They believed that they must, so what they believed, the Celts believed, to get the sun back was they had to participate in ritual. If you didn't participate in ritual, the sun wasn't coming back. Now, we would probably call that superstition. But how many of us live with superstition already, anyway? Huh? Who's wearing their lucky socks today? <laughs> Did you know in Mexico, we didn't know this, but we went to, we went to San Miguel de Allende. It's beautiful. Just love that little uh, uh, place. And then we went over to Guanajuato for one night, which is the capital of the state of Guanajuato. And that's where the Mexican Revolution took place. And we were there December 12th. Talk about ritual. Did you know what December 12th is in Mexico? I do now. It is the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is the Mexican version of the Blessed Virgin. And so um, in that, what they do is they have a lot of fireworks. And there's a marching band in Guanajuato. And Guanajuato's not that big. The main drag. And so we went to bed about 9 o'clock and we had a uh, restaurant below us that was playing music, quite lovely. And then the dogs were barking and the fireworks were going off about every minute or so. And then the marching band showed up. <laughs> and they can play. These guys, I, I said to Laura, do you think their arms ever get tired? Because they played from 10 until 3 in the morning. <laughs> and they marched away, but the main drag is pretty short. So I said, oh, they're moving away finally. And then they marched back right under the window again. (laughs) We were just laying there staring at the ceiling. I thought, oh, I had no idea. How this relates to Our Lady of Guadalupe, I have no clue. But it's part of that ritual. It's part of how they celebrate. And they're such a beautiful culture. So we, we, uh... and then we called Uber in the morning. And we, we had three suitcases and a set of golf clubs. And the guy shows up in a Chevy Sprint. And we got the luggage in the car, but there was no room for us. <laughs> so, so just the adventures of Mexico and the lack of, I have a bit of Spanish, but not a whole lot, to, but we, we figured it out. So anyway, getting back to the Celts 1,500 years ago, they didn't know this. They thought they had to practice some spiritual ritual. So when the Christians came out of the Mediterranean, to, uh, Mediterranean area to evangelize, the Celts were having none of it. Heck with you guys. What are you guys talking about? Man, we need the sun. So, and so the, the Celts, some of the more enlightened ones, said, well, tell us your story. And the, and the Celts started telling us the story of, of the winter solstice, that the, 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 this is what we believe. We do ritual because the, it's so important for us for the sun to come back. And if we don't do it, we're, we know the sun won't reappear. And they said, well, we, that's our story too, but let us tell it to you in a new way. They, they were smart. They, they built, it upon, built upon what was already there. Didn't tell them they're bad and wrong. They said, well, tell us your story. Tell me more. If you're thinking of the rebirth of the sun and we're thinking of the birth of something, we are th- you're thinking of, excuse me, you are thinking, you Celts are thinking of the rebirth of the sun and we are thinking of rebirth in a bigger way. But we're both th- thinking of rebirth, so let us share that with you. So the same way nature goes through a rebirth at the spiritual level, the soul goes through a rebirth as well. And at the darkest part of the year at the darkest part of the year 
the darkest part of our lives with the suffering and the fear and the pain. It's a hard thing to be alive and to be on this planet. Watch what's going on. Watch the things that, that are happening and the chaos and all the things that are happening. But at the darkest parts, what we all want, we all share this, we all want that suffering, that confusion, that lack and limitation, the fear. We all want it to end, don't we? We want it to end so the sun can shine in our lives. I mean, every time I say that and think about that, and I, when I type that out, I thought of that, I think it's from Hair, Let the Sun Shine. Remember that song? I mean, so much of our, even our, our today's culture is, is evolved around the return of light. In the story of the, there's Luke and Matthew that wrote about the birth of, of Jesus in the Gospels. And it's all metaphor for the time. They were all speaking to the people of the time. But you notice in Matthew, it's the three wise men. And how did they get there? They kept focused on the light. They proceeded and kept following where they wanted to go by the light. That's such a great metaphor. I don't know if it happened or not, but it's so true for all of us. We cannot be everything to everyone and, to, and, and everything to ourselves. We have to focus on the things that are precious and sacred to us, and the light will bring us there. So it's fascinating. So the connection to what is happening, the, the, the Christian evangelicals at the time said the connection to what is happening in the cosmos and what is happening is, is in nature is made for people to say, see this? This is going on for all of us. Joni Mitchell wrote about it. That we have, what we've done is we have, we have paved paradise and put up parking lots. I mean, look at it, the world. We, what we need, more parking lots, don't we? Probably not, but it's certainly one of the things that's a phenomenon that we can look at in the world. So modern Christianity separated Christianity from the, the night sky and the barren trees. So our, our idea that, that we're separate from nature, the, way, the, the tradition I was raised in, that, that nature really had very little to do with my spirituality, but that there is spirituality in nature. The indigenous people know that. They've never lost that, and it's so true. Christmas holidays are mi mimicking the heathen pagan holidays. The Celts know about the solstice, and we have an added depth. 1,500 years ago, we were under the, still no slides, we were under the Julian calendar, named after Julius Caesar, was founded in, in 50 uh, BCE, before the Common Era. So many people talk, think that's before the birth of Christ, and they, they correlate a bit, but it's before the Common Era. And at that time, it only had 362 days in the calendar. So in the 16th century, December was in July. The months kept moving, so it didn't line up with the season, so there was no consistency to it. So Pope Gregory came along, the Gregorian calendar, if you've heard of that. Pope Gregory came along, and he introduced a calendar with 365 days. And an extra day every four years for leap year. Anybody here born on, on leap, uh, leap year that day? All right, nobody. The solstice and Christmas. So at this time, there was one extra day every four years for leap year, which created a three-day variance. So the Gregorian calendar created this three-day variance. So there were three days from the solstice and Christmas. And so these guys got together, all the, the, the guys that made these decisions, and the, the Vatican library is full of discussion about this. It's recorded. What do we do? Because we've got Christmas over here, we've got solstice over here, and they're three days apart. Well, do we leave it where it is? 
We move it three days before Christmas, we move it three days to December 21st. And so they decided after much uh, conversation to leave it where it was. And, it's, and three days is very significant in the Christian tradition. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And, and it, it was, I, I'm sure, it was Friar Jim that came up with that. He said, hey, wait a minute. This three days works good. Now I make, that's, my, I, that's the story I'm making up about it. But somebody said it, and it might as well have been Jim, huh? So on the solstice and two days afterward, to the naked eye, the sun appears not to move. Just quite mystical and magical as well. On the third day, it now appears the sun is growing in again. And of course, three days, as I've said, is that quite a significance in the Christian tradition. So the gospels and nature now become connected with the heathen practices, the pagan practices, and what the, these evangelicals are trying to impress. The core message in Christianity when applied to this narrative is despite the challenges that might be happening personally, professionally, in our families, in our communities. And this is really, really sweet. When we go to the deepest part, when we go to the deepest part, that is where we find the radiance. The radiance comes with our courage to walk toward the deepest darkness. And when we look out at the world and I look at the chaos, we, there's a wholeness in us, all of us, all of us matter. Each one of us is precious. I watched Laura and I, I tried to watch a movie going down to Mexico and, and the engine was so loud, I heard about a, a quarter of it, but it was king in the wilderness. And so we came home and I said, Laura, I'd like to, I'd like to watch this movie again and hear what it had to say. There were so many gems and little pieces I did make out. And so we watched it again yesterday. And... and and, and Dr. King was just such a, a light upon the planet. And, he, he, and, and if he hadn't been assassinated so brutally, which is so heartbreaking, because there was such hatred for what he represented. He, he, he preached exactly what Gandhi said, nonviolence, nonviolence. And then he began to preach against the Vietnam War. And he said so many of the people that he went to Morehouse College with, so many of his friends that were supporting him withdrew their support and abandoned him because they didn't feel it was appropriate for him as a clergy person to speak against the Vietnam War. And Lyndon Johnson, the president at the time, uh, was very upset with him. J. Edgar Hoover was very upset with him. They thought he was the, the, the evilest of the evil. And he said, I cannot. He said, I'm trapped because I cannot speak about nonviolence and not spe speak out about this. Why, why should we be nonviolent here and yet express our violence against little, little brown Vietnamese children? He said, it's no different. And people had a hard time seeing that. And he went to Chicago to march to help them. He wanted to bring it to the north. And he said, in the south, we had maybe 200 people that would, would show up, and they were members of the Ku Klux Klan or the, or the far right and very hostile. But he said, they were always a small group. But he said, got Chicago, there's 10,000 people that just showed up with such hatred because he wanted fair housing for people, for human beings. So you and I have come here, and that the great teacher said it, and I think he did, to be the light of the world. 
You are the one. You are the one. Don't abdicate it to somebody else. You are the one. But you are the one. That the deepest dark is not where grace goes to die, but the place where grace goes to be born and reborn. And I believe that's what's happening on our planet right now. In fact, I'm sure of it. When you see all the chaos in the world, see, we have to stand in the big mind to be able to look at it through wisdom and see the things that are coming at us. And see, you know, we talk about shadow integration here a lot because I think it is one of the antidotes to the problems that we're having. And as we can embody it and do our own healing, it blesses all of us. That we can stand tall and strong and realize this, too, this does not represent me. There's enough to have life at more than enough. And, and when it's the darkest and the scariest, it's not the time to give up and cave in. That's the time to, to ground ourselves and understand there's a life force that moves through all of us that presses against us, that presses without, from within us as well. And it is always responding to our nature to our thinking, to our embodied thoughts. That's our work to do. The Christ experience is at its best when the core message is taken to a new group of people and those people say they don't know the story of Jesus and whoever it is can say, yes, you do. You understand because you know the story of what's happening in the earth and what's happening in the cosmos because it is all the infinite. It is not separate from us. We are not separate from nature. Nature is part of us and we are part of it. And we've come here as awake and aware individuals to point to what is going on around us and what is unfolding here. There's darkness, there's chaos, there's fear, there's lack and limitation, there's all kinds of things that are just so, we, we are, you know, we are just tripwired. Um, we're just tripwired to judge. Because we get triggered. Ah, he did that. He did that, she did that. This is going on, this is going on. It's like... This is our humanity. And to be able to look at it through wisdom and say, this is all the unintegrated stuff that's playing itself out now. This is the darkness. that We haven't built the capacity to love individually and collectively, so it's gonna continue to play itself out. And in so many areas of life. And so we either just throw our hands up and give up, or we continue to dig deep and to have a practice that grounds us. Whatever practice grounds you, Whatever takes you there, use it and use it and use it. The day before the solstice, the Celts would decorate. This is what's, here's this beautiful tree. What, the, what the, the Celts or Celts would do, they would decorate the sacred tree in the center of the village. Every, every when we were, I just watched, we watched Bruce Springsteen's uh, on Broadway. And, and he said, what a poet. I've never listened to any of his music. I am not a fan of Bruce Springsteen. I am now. What a poet, two and a half hours, and he tells a story. He says, I wanted to understand the story. I wanted to study my country, the town I grew up in, so I could tell the story. And he does it so beautifully. So it's on Netflix if you haven't seen it. But he goes, tells it towards the end of his talk. He said, you know, I went home, and they took down our tree. They took down our tree. That was a touchstone for all of us. And he said, I was just so angry when I got there, and the tree was gone. And then he realized, the tree... tree is still there. It's still there. So not much has changed. Two or three thousand years. So the, the Celts would decorate the sacred tree in the center of the village. Excuse me. 
I got to get out of big heart and get back into big mind so I can do the talk. <laughs> the sacred tree was not the fir tree, but the oak tree. And the reason the oak tree was decorated was because the oak tree attracted lightning. And when you were in one of those Celt villages, you needed fire. And so the mythology for them was this is a sacred tree because it gives us warmth. So when that lightning hit the oak tree, they would celebrate. They would tear a limb off. They would cut a limb off and harness the fire. And they would celebrate on that day before the winter solstice, the rebirth of the oak, the bringer of fire. They did this by hanging fruit in the branches, oranges, apples, pears. The sacred central tree of the Celts was decorated. So when we're trimming the tree, we just trimmed the tree because that's what we did. You know, we're going to get a Christmas tree and we're going to put stuff on it. And we had the ugliest Christmas trees you've ever seen because there were 13 of us decorating that tree. We usually buried it in tinsel. We were really good with We kept the aluminum foil back. <laughs> God put us in business. The, the Christians see this and they say, here's the tree of life at the, at the heart of the garden. This is part of our story too. This is the tree of life. See, and they kept tying it together with what was already happening. And for the Celts, the tree is the sacred symbol. Its roots in the earth and its branches in the heavens and they do rituals around the tree. And I have these beautiful slides showing these beautiful oak trees and the roots in the ground and the branches coming out. And this is where the cross came from. The cross prior to the Celts is the plus sign. It's equal. And then all of a sudden the Celts got involved and they said, no, no, the roots are deeper this way than it it goes that way. And all of a sudden the cross was adapted in a different way. So December 24th, used to be the feast of Adam and Eve and the, the tree of life in the garden. But that was removed about 500 years ago. Anybody know that? I didn't know that. 500 years ago, the Catholic Church threw it out. But t- this, December 24th used to be the feast of Adam and Eve, celebrated in the garden. December 25th is the birth. Women know this birth through their bodies. And December 26th, which is now Boxing Day, was born out of the need for the boys and men to understand that birth as well. And so what the Celts did is they would send the men and the boys out and they would would capture a wren, which is a symbol of uh, the phallic symbol. And they would sacrifice the wren. They would kill the sweet little bird as a ritual and pour the blood into the earth to understand that that blood is involved when, when new things are born. And so what happened in the Celt tradition, they would, they would, the, the Christians came along and they didn't want to be part of killing wrens. They said, you know, we don't need to kill any more birds. All right? So they shifted to the idea, the sweating of our hearts within ourselves, that we need to grow beyond to give birth. So the, the Christians decided to make December 26th, Boxing Day, the Feast of St. Stephen, because he was the first Christian martyr. And the men and boys were then tasked with going out and finding food, clothing, and wood to give to the shut-ins, the people that needed help. You know, I went out with Les Lefay yesterday, that that initiative that we did to help two families along with the the three that we did through the Heart Center and and Linda Wolf. And I I thought so much, when I was a new minister in Fillmore, California, I used to go buy, we'd we'd gather some money and I would buy a, a box of food for about five or six families in the community. And, I would, and every year I would drive around and I would just deliver them. And I thought about that. And as we were going to this house to, um, to uh, share our, our abundance with someone, I, I thought back to that. And I thought about how important that was for me. And it continues to be important. 
So this, this boxing day came out of the ritual of men and, and boys going out and finding clothing and f- food and wood for shut-ins for the widows that they couldn't, so they could make it through the winter. So we need charity, charity to make it through the winter. The three points in it is the deepest dark is where the radiance is born. The second is what helps us get there is generosity. It helps us get there is generosity. It tells us that even though we're in the deepest dark and want to pull, to withhold, the direction to go is to share, to share, to share. That comes from our ancestors. You know, Bruce Springsteen said with his dad, his relationship with his dad that he described so beautifully. He said, you're either an ancestor or you're a ghost. How many of us have ghosts that we're dragging along with us that are haunting us? I don't want to be a ghost for my, my grandbabies, my kids. I want to be an ancestor. I want to be an advocate. I want to be an energetic, a powerful energetic of, of something positive and generative and beautiful. I don't want to be haunting them with my unresolved stuff. And the, the, and the, the third thing that's so important, I think, for all of us is that the Christ, the Christ is the term for humanity's connection with the infinite. That is what the term means. Dr. Holmes said, Christ is born to or within each as the human gives way to the divine, as strife gives way to peace, as confusion gives way to poise. To call, call that archetype within yourself when you're in confusion and say, you know what, you stay right here because I'm gonna call forth the archetype of poise and grace and beauty and groundedness. That's our opportunity. It's just a contrast, but it's a choice that's so important for us to make. As weakness gives way to strength, I'm feeling victimized here. I I didn't come here to be a victim. This is why the cue card is so important to call myself back to who I've come here to be. I've come here to be strength. As fear gives way to faith, as as my fear bubbles up, I I I haven't come here to live a fearful life. I have faith. I have faith. In the story of, of uh, in the other story with Matthew, Matthew writes about the angel Gabriel coming. Angel Gabriel represents resilience and persistence. And he appears first to Zachariah and he says, you're gonna have a child. You're gonna have this amazing child. Now, angels always represent higher thoughts. So it could have come to him in a dream, who knows? But maybe the angel just showed up in all his glory. So Gabriel's there. And Zachariah says to him, oh, really? Well, how am I, I I'm an old man. How am I gonna afford that? Where's he going to go to school? Who's going to take care of him? Who's going to change his diapers? Who's going to teach him how to swim and ride a bicycle and all those things that somebody's got to do? And so you know what the angel Gabriel did? He slapped him on the hand and he made him mute. Took away his capacity to speak. Angel Gabriel shows up. Now they were his cousin. Zachariah's wife was a cousin to Mary appeared to Mary. She said, Mary, you're going to have a child. And Mary just listened. and She took it all in. And she said, okay, tell me what I'm supposed to do. What, what would you have me do to give birth to this child? 
It's quite interesting. Once again, it's a metaphor and it's an example of how we can get in our intellect. We've got to know all the answers. So it's just, I'm not taking on that responsibility. My neighbor's right over there. He'd probably love to have a child. All the nonsense that we get. Mary just simply said, and so the, the metaphor is, is we have to be true to our practices. We have to be to trust and have faith. And the problem is so many of us have been betrayed by our governments and the people that we look to for leadership and the things that we think are, 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 are examples of something powerful and positive. And that's our humanity. But it's really about having our own deep relationship with that that core self and asking the question, what's mine to do here? What must I do? And having enough clarity and willingness and openness and receptivity to receive the answer and act upon it. The frustrating thing is we all want to know this, how the story will end. We want the beginning, middle, and end all laid out for us. Have you ever noticed that? Wouldn't you love to just know how it's all going to work out? We don't get it like that. We get it in pieces. Oh, I do this today. Hmm, I see. Hmm. Oh, I have to go clean out my closet, which is a metaphor, but it's also an energetic of making room for something new. But I don't want to just clean the closet. I want to know where the cleaning the closet is going to take me to and the results and how the reward will show up in my life. It might just be a clean closet. We never, many times, get what we want. But we always get what we need. And so part of abundance is understanding and celebrating and rejoicing and knowing that I have in this moment everything I need. And you have in this moment everything you need. You got something to get into that's warm when you head out of here? You got everything you need right now. Beautiful clothes on all of us. People start showing up with sandwich boards on instead of clothing and barrels. We'll help you out with that. But you don't always get what you want but you always get what you need. And to revel in that, because that generates, that's a flow of life. That's a continuum of welcome. That's a gratitude that says, oh man, I am so blessed. Misery gives way to happiness. And as Dr. Holmes says, as we give way to spirit, the human will find no place in the divine certainty. See, we won't be certain about it, but we will have the faith to know, as Mary said, what must I do? Do your spiritual practice. One life, that life is God. That life is perfect. That life is mine right now. Beautiful prayer. For God does not will anything to happen. God knows. And the result of God's knowing produces creation. God's not worrying about nothing. God's this infinite loving intelligence and everything we give it is, oh, you want that? You got it. Ah, I don't have enough, I'm not enough. Oh, you don't have enough, you're not enough, you got it. This is the way it works. Wow, isn't that remarkable? It's no, it's no wonder the world is in the condition it's in. Most people don't think like this. They're down there in, in San Miguel Allende and there's a statue of a saint, St. Patrick's big there. Did you know that the Irish went down? They, they got recruited, all the Irish, and we know how to fight because I grew up in an Irish family. We would rather fight than eat in my family, so I know the tradition. So the Irish get sent down there in a bunch of brigades to kill, to kill the Mexicans. And they looked at what they were doing. They said, what the hell are we killing these people for? They're more like us than these guys are, so they joined the other group. And so when the U.S. defeated the Mexicans and the Irish, they hung all the Irish. I didn't know that. Irish, you know, they, they don't pick well sometimes, but their heart was in it. Said, we're not fighting with you guys, we're fighting with those guys. So here's a statue of St. Patrick right in the middle of this beautiful church in uh, 
San Miguel. I thought, wow, how about that? Isn't it fascinating how life works? People see injustice and they take a stand. And it's just a beautiful thing. So Christ, the perfect man, has developed, once again, Dr. Holmes, the perfect man has developed within us through the realization and the revelation of the self to the self. It is within us. It is there. And to call it forth and to continue to call it forth. It takes practice. Christ in us constitutes our true sonship to the parent mind, which is God. Every person a potential Christ and as yet undeveloped divinity. So you and I are undeveloped divinity. And the season of light, this understanding of the journey of human consciousness and ritual, superstition, it is so beautiful and lovely to be empowered to know that we always have choice, to always call ourselves back when we go off the rails. Who have you come here to be? Because you matter. Dr. Martin Luther King said just before he was assassinated, he said, we have come a long, long, long way, but we got a long way to go. And that's exciting. That's joyful to be, a, you are here for a reason. You are here to be in service to this infinite possibility. So God bless you on this uh, Christmas season, this season of light, the renewal of light. And let's celebrate the darkness as well because it's all God and it's all good. So great to be back with you all. Thank you for allowing Laura and I to take a, a break and, and uh, get renewed and, uh, and blessed. You are a blessing. And so it is.